Hello, and welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you. And a reminder that the five-year anniversary of the Junk Show is April 14th at the Copper Still on Beverly Boulevard at 8 p.m. It's always the second Sunday of every month. If you like music and comedy and magic and animation, short films, storytellers, on and on. If you like creative stuff, you might enjoy it. My guest, as you heard in part one wonderful magician, an even better person, just an absolute delight to talk to. If you get a chance to go see him live, I highly recommend it. Not only an amazing magician, but a really funny dude. Here's part two with Derek Hughes. Part three, or part, do we leave on part two last time of, the, of Ben's trick of when you, so part one is got a trick, it works. Now we've got, so the story originated with him saying he did a trick at the junk show. It was it wasn't like you were talking about with a, a magician who goes, now take a, a card. Now you're putting the card in. Now you're looking at the card and expl- it wasn't quite. He still he had a limited story he was building around. And I thought it looked real smooth. Was there was. a fin- I don't know the routine you're talking about. I haven't seen it yet. It, uh, it involves uh, kind of what you do with like, is this free will? Are you choosing this? Or- so, th- so there was sort of a premise of a phenomena he's exploring yeah, in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Theatrically. Theatrically, there were going to be three parts to it. The first amazing on its own of like, wow, you know, like say it was the, he chose the right page in the book that she was on. Now scroll down and find a word. Huh? Now let's close that book. Now open the book again. Wow. Weird. That page you were on is gone. I wonder where, remember mm. that word you chose? Now, say it was helium, a balloon rises up. Well, that's weird. What's in the balloon? It's that missing page. It just kept building around this little dance that was like this intricate puzzle. And then there was a, I guess what you would call like maybe a fourth piece in addition to that, that really drove it home. But he didn't have the punchlines. He didn't have the, which to me, I wish I'd recorded it just to see like, starting point to then in two years where he's like, oh, he, this thing really hums. Right. And you got it about right. Two years is probably about the arc. Really? Sure. Whew. If not longer. Because, I mean, I've, I remember, and I can't keep track of which ones at the junk show, you were like, hey, I've got a, a new thing I want to work on. Certain card things, or you want this one, you want, drop this one, keep it, leave it. The stuff you were doing last night at the Magic Castle, I feel like you'd already had pretty well prepared coming in. And Though, even that stuff... Oh, sorry, go. One of the pieces you saw was something I I think I did for the second time ever for uh, layman eyes was at your junk show, oh, which really? was the ring trick, mm-hmm. where the, tr- the ring penetrates through the fingers. Yeah. And it's like this beautiful, silent you know, moment of sleight of hand, mm-hmm. and that's it. Just like a little kind of one-liner a little sweet little moment yeah it's like um when you're listening to an album and all the songs are three to five minutes and then there's just a 30 second thing mm-hmm. it's like oh, that was a nice little interlude it's just that like it's it's not out of character but it's not in the same vein as you know you're you're pretty verbose for the rest of the show that's right and this one you're kind of just like hey check this out and it's great and it works yes absolutely i mean that's that's I'm looking for moments like that because I noticed, you know, in my stand-up material, I have multi-phase tag bits that you know last five minutes. That would I would say say is one bit, yeah, and it has multiple beats and um, and then I have one-liners, and I was like, all my magic were like these long multi-phase things. So it's yeah. like I need to start developing. I I, I wanted to start developing. Uh, just for theatrical texture. You know, when I'm doing a, an hour or 90 minutes, I'm taking people on a journey and our brain needs to let, if you're monotone droning on, I don't drone, but I'm just saying like in theory, <laughs> like if you got a metronome going and the metro, metronome doesn't change at all, it's going to lull you to sleep. Yeah. You know, so there needs to be peaks and valleys, you know, uh, and 
so that was that's one of those new pieces that is in that one liner category mm-hmm. for my magic. I picture, repertoire. you know, you talked about this when we first met late night at Acme during their 20 year anniversary and you're doing tricks just for me and Emily Rose and a handful of people and like real right close up and talking about going to magic camp and then going back now as a counselor. And but I picture a kid just mastering a trick or five tricks or, Hey everybody, the, I know we're about to eat the Turkey, but you know, I thought while we're all here at Thanksgiving, could maybe Derek can show you some stuff and you do five minutes, but there's no real script to it. Like, oh, oh, and here's another one. It's all just, exhibition let, mm-hmm. oh, let me show you this one mm-hmm. and another one to go from that kid to then <coughs> the chops to build it out to where oh, all that 10 minutes flows together and then understanding because every comedian deals with this you know you do five minutes i can do that 10 30 and then when you got to do 40 and you realize man there's a real shift in energy at every kind of interval that how do you build your act so you navigate through that smoothly and you know bands i don't think they might you know it's like building a playlist you switch it around let's do this and build up but comedy i think is 10 times more that you really gotta well the checks are getting dropped at this club so i gotta have these jokes that are quicker so i can you know people's attention span while they're doing math sure you get so many factors like that but all of that in magic i never really put that together of how long that would take and understanding the the contours and the texture of all that but it's very similar to comedy mm-hmm. uh, in in that, you know, structured pace. And, uh, you know, both comedy and magic, like a great punchline and a great trick, both have a finale that needs to be two things, surprising and inevitable, mm-hmm. which contradict each other. Right. And But when they're most satisfying, you know, that priority mail envelope. Yeah. We have forgotten about it, but it is the inevitable conclusion. But you do things prior to that envelope that, and I feel like I never understood or I maybe took it for granted that every great performer has something huge before the big thing if they're really on the top of their game. So you would finish something and the whole room is like, all right, I need to go home and rethink things. And then you're like, but what about that envelope? And now everyone is like gathering their heads back together and going, oh my God, there's more. And there's, and it's the biggest and then when that delivers, that's such a different feeling than anything else. To create a frenzy is exciting. <laughs> the grin and that you have on your face is so like <laughs> Cheshire Cat. It's like, yes, I, like you're playing with puppets or something. Well, this goes back to something, you know, that Barry Katz said to me. He had given me, very generously gave me some notes on a show a couple years ago. And, you know, he was like, it's a good show, but, you know, you got you got this thing in the middle and this you're doing this thing here. And, and that's a good, those are good. But the essence of his advice was every bit should be fighting for closer status. Yeah. Like the opener should be trying to be the closer. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, like just, and that's when I got really aggressive about, and I don't want my performance to be, I find myself talking a million miles a minute, it feels like just getting it in. And, you know, especially if I'm doing stuff at a club where I have a shorter set, like I just did a festival where it was seven and eight minute sets. Yeah. Now that is, feels like no time at all. And, and there was a day when that felt like an eternity. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> but, you know, just, I, cause I, you also don't want to feel like it's canned and pre-prepared you want to have this idea of discovery and you know breath and a break and a rest and like you're on this path with people but you also you know want it to have this potential closer status Mm -hmm. at any given moment so it's that's a fine line to walk um as far as like developing those the way a, a magic trick develops into a really great full-blown routine is uh, more often than not, you do kind of, I begin with, and I think Ben with the routine you saw him do recently, you begin with you know, a core effect, which has technique mm-hmm. and uh, sort of hidden actions that need to happen. So you need to, to be able to execute those in a way that isn't perceived. Yeah. Without, and also that seems effortless you know mm-hmm. part of magic is really seeming like you're not doing anything yeah because magic just happens right mm-hmm. so if i'm like doing stuff then it's not magic then i'm juggling 
Yeah. Um, so you need to rehearse that to a level where you can do it proficiently without looking like you're thinking too much. You don't want your tongue sticking out of the side of your mouth and your eyes looking up to the left going, where did I? Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> what I love about magic is when someone's really trying. Yeah, really struggling. <laughs> Look at this guy's giving it his all. Um, so once that's, that's the baseline, and then mm-hmm. you can do that trick for people and they don't know how it's done. And it's amazing, hopefully. Hopefully it's just inherently a very strong effect. You've chosen very strong material. When Ben makes a page disappear from a book and appear in a balloon, and it, you know, that's pretty freaking good. My mind is fully there and trying to unwrap that. And I, whether people like or dislike magic, I think people that dislike it, you know, I wouldn't... I don't. I guess I don't talk to enough of them to know what they hate about it. But a lot of it is like, well, I know it's fake. Okay. Well, how would you do that fake thing? Sure. How would you get that balloon to house the exact thing we're looking for in it? Right. So my mind will be spinning around with that. Like we all saw it, and then we saw it in its physical form, and then it was in there. So my mind is on that. And I, going back to your uh, social media handle, stand up magician, the boat, the two worlds. And I feel like they're almost two different hemispheres of a brain and that they wouldn't really know each other. So Ben's asking me this, like, as if he were asking a comic, you know, like, what do you, what do you think the punchlines were? And I'm, to me, it's a math equation that I don't, it's in a language I don't know, or I'm just going, I don't know the story necessarily or where the jokes would figure in. I don't, and I feel like I'd be insulting him to guess and go, oh, you know, when you're doing this, you could say this. You know, a comic, you can very quickly watch a bit, feel how you would add a punchline, then rewire and go, well, that's how I would do it. They talk this way. So if they ask me, I'd say, well, you say this before. So maybe this is how you should dance into that. Like, oh, okay. So that language I get. But man, the, the magician It's funny because that's what he's, he's looking for. Yeah. But he's you. asking someone. And you're, you're the master of that, you know, of, of finding a tag and a punch and, and, you know, maybe helping him more economically tell a story or get to a funny. But you're so scattered by the possibility that you can't even <laughs> think about how, what he was saying. There were like four comics standing there and we were all just kind of going, I, what? It'd be like if you asked sure. us how to like draw an extra symbol in a Chinese book you know it's just a book sure. entirely written in chinese like what would you add as a sentence here like sure. i don't know what any of these are i could maybe just copy one of those and hope it's the right thing but and that's that's a frustrating element of something that's inherent to magic which is magic is much more unique and it's 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 a unicorn in people's lives you know you see it once maybe live good mm-hmm. maybe a couple of times and when you see it it's it's impossible, you yeah. know. So just the just the magic, that bare bones off the workbench, I've got the trick working. For many audiences, that's enough. Yeah. But as a performer, that's just the starting point. You don't we then want to move beyond that and be able to explore or say something or entertain on a higher level than just impossible, right? <laughs> Fooled you, huh? Yeah. Um Something that I've been working on is, you know, I had this, tr- I have a trick and I've had it for years, man. And it's this, uh, it's, it's this cube box, uh, like a tour crate mm-hmm. and it's locked and it's solid. And the, one of the hindrances, one of the reasons it's not fully formed yet is the thing is heavy Yeah, and I travel. Mm-hmm. So it has required checking a bag if I want to add it to my show. Yeah. But uh, I did a test run of it about a year ago at Acme, and that's when I got really keen on uh, maybe moving a little more aggressively into making it a permanent part of the show. Because people would come up to me after the show, and uh, that week they were like, whoa, that thing with the box and the ring. <laughs> that was impossible. Yeah. Well, damn it. Now I got to do it. Because if yeah. that's what's lingering in their mind, it's like, I mean, everything was great, but that was, whoa, twisted my brain. Now it's got to be in there. But that week at Acme, I found what I think is the seed to the routine. Ah. And now I need to spend time at the writer's table and flesh it out. Uh, the The trick itself is a box is hanging above the stage, locked. Oh, okay. And I borrow a, a woman's ring and it disappears. And later on in the show, it appear, it, we reveal that it, it is in the box. Mm-hmm. Okay? Transposition of an object in an impossible way. Um, so early in the week, I would vanish the ring and I had what I thought was the strongest guy in the room come help me on stage. Because it's heavy. So that was my thought process there. 
And it was fine. Good, good trick. Uh, and then a couple nights in, I was like, okay, I'll borrow an engagement ring. And I got into a story about how did you propose? And we got, so now we're getting some ah, of the show. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like getting what it's really about. Some and, and then it started, I started exploring an idea. Well, what if, what if he'd never asked? Or what if she never said yes? And the ring vanishes. I go, okay, so now that kind of justifies the ring vanishing in a theatrical way, right? I want you guys to ponder that, live in that space for a minute. You know, feel what it is like if you if this never happened, because it is, you know, the most important thing in the world to them, right? Mm-hmm. Their, their union. Um, and then I called the guy up on stage, the, the husband, to help me rather than a strong guy. Mm-hmm. So he's helping me open the box. When he opens the box, inside the box is another box. Okay. So then I open that box. Inside that box is another box. <laughs> that box gets open. Inside that box is another box. Uh, and finally, there's a fourth small box. And he pulls that box out. And about midweek, I, now I'm doing it with the with the guy. And I had this moment on stage. Uh, I say, get on your knee. And he's holding this little box. Mm-hmm. And he gets on his knee and open it. Ma'am, is that your ring? <laughs> she she goes, yes. I'm like, do you say yes? She says yes. Hey, nice. And so it re- recreates yeah. the moment that it all started with, which mm-hmm. was the proposal. Yeah, yeah. Right? And now I need to write it. And what I'm working on, sort of spitballing in my brain, is what marriage is more than, ju- you know, there's, there's multi-layers. Mm-hmm. So what are the four layers yeah, that bring us together and make. I don't know yet, you know, but each box is gonna maybe represent some kind of. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. those four layers. Yeah, and inside the box is not the ring; it's another box. Because look, marriage isn't you know. Yeah, it's you're not that dating, easy. You know, this, it's like come on, did, you know. Ah. Yeah, you could make that very poetic. I think so. Without sappy, you know, your comedy club like Friday Night Late crowd, that's a tough, tough balance. But if you really hit that. Even but the I even, most, like, there's cynical. even moments in there, you know, Friday Night Lake, because one of those boxes is sex. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, and first you got to fuck. I mean, if you're not fu- <laughs> if you don't fuck right, it's not going to last. <laughs> and then it's you know trust. Yeah. And, and then it's man. Have I was I was for, thinking back too to the idea of the language, and maybe this made more sense to me as like working with wood. That you build a chair, and all the pegs and dowels and everything are in tight. It's maybe glued together. And it, parts of it are sanded or, or, you know, planed, but otherwise it's rough. But you can sit on it and people go, that's a great chair. So I would think that's where you get to with a trick where like off the workbench, this is a chair. But then deciding how to finish it, what color is it going to be? Are we going to use a wax or a urethane? Are we going to do some sort of um, just a, a minwax kind of stain on it? What are we going to do to this? And you can get lost in all that. It could be a million colors. It could be any texture. It could be, so you just leave it. Or do you slowly start putting on in little parts, you know, like, okay, well, the leg's looking pretty good. So is that more of a language that connects more? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, look. What you're really talking about there, what do you what what is chair making? It's a craft, mm-hmm. you know, and you're talking about crafting something from the base elements, wood or the technique required to make an impossible, um, and then crafting it into a way that it's framed great. Like I'm actually there's something that's long standing in my routine in my act. Uh, I do it almost every show. Uh, because it has a, as far as the arc of my show, it has a lead in and it has, and it leads to something else. So I'm sort of stuck with this bit mm-hmm. as a part of, you know, uh, it's a transition, but yeah. it's, but it's a whole effect in and of itself that also works as a transition in the larger show. But forgive me, it's a hack trick. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing it since I was a kid. This particular technique is, probably in 80% of working magic shows, you know, and I'm embarrassed, you know, that I do this trick. Yeah. But there's a reason it's in that many shows. It's a miracle. Okay. But it's, it's a hack trick, but the chair I have crafted around the technique is 100% my voice. Yeah. And every time any magician sees me do that routine, they're like, wow, great work on the, you know, 
trick we all know yeah you know they say the name of the trick and they're like your work on that you know your your scripting that the way you have framed that thanks to eugene is the best Mm -hmm. okay well so i've polished a turd but and made it shine yeah you fix up a car that everyone thinks is like everyone's done a volkswagen everyone's done an old beetle but you know you do it in a way where people go this is incredible sure you're allowed to do that I mean, in stand-up, I think it's a little more egregious. Someone does the, and if you're not laughing right now, you're the blah, blah, blah point of the joke that was being made fun of. That right. that would be, that's the first like, sort of stock hacky thing I thought of. Comics could still get past that. If the rest of the act was great, if someone did that, they wouldn't go, oh, I hate this person for life now because they right. did this hacky thing. So I think you get some well, pass there. And and the framing isn't hack. You know, like the framing really is something special and it's really nice. But it's just the the effect and the technique itself is is something common to is many this, acts. So. Is this kind of an – so I used to do the Riviera in Vegas and I hated it. And But one time this magician guy came in. He had a 2 o'clock show. His last name was Burton and I accidentally at one point called him Lance. He His name was not Lance. No, it was Nathan. Nathan, okay, Burton, nice guy, very nice dude, but he spent, his show was maybe 45 minutes and 15 of it was a compilation highlight video of his appearances on America's Got Talent. Yeah. So you're just sitting there in a theater like, what is this? Why am I watching a YouTube video? He did the box hanging and it was, what's your favorite cereal? And the person would say it and then the box comes down on a rope. No one's touched it. No one's, we've, we can all agree the box has just been sitting there. No one's touched it. No one, and then he opens the box, their cereal is in it. So we get invited backstage, you know, we're performers hanging out. And I see this whole shelf system full of every cereal in the world. Oh, cool. And I was like, it didn't disappoint me on the level of like, now nah, I still didn't get the trick. I'm like, we still didn't see anyone touch that damn box. How do they do sure, that? Sure, sure. It bothered me because the framing, the scripting. How Rube Goldberg, you know, like what, yeah, a, what how, a crazy <laughs> a wall of cereal. Wall of cereal, someone has to run back there. He had assistants and stuff. And that's what bugged me is that the framing or the scripting was kind of lazy. It was like, it was a lot of ta-da and hand gestures and folks, the box and, you know, assistants glamorously moving out of the way if there had been a, a story or a through line to it i'm way more into that and so that is that an evolution that's happening and or has happened or has that always been there i think uh i don't know nathan very well i did and he is a workhorse and i think he has different goals i don't think his goal is to be uh an art an artist I think he wanted to have a 10-year, $100 million Vegas that's contract. It. He, that's it. Yeah. That's what his drive is. And he's he's a very aggressive business person. Mm-hmm. And I saw his show a number of years ago when it was in the Donnie and Marie space, daytime. And, you know, Nathan, if you're listening, you know, you, you have to show up to your show. Mm-hmm. And what I saw was a person who's been, who's working a lot and his mind was not with us. Mm-hmm. It was hitting a mark, turning, gesturing with a hand and saying words he said a million times before, even though the words are, you know, are about, you know, my mother, you know, and you know, they were potential. The words had potential to have emotional impact, but, and then, uh, I found out that he has, he had two variety acts on the show, at least the production I saw, you know, two spots in the show where, people from different evening shows came on and did a fire dance and then someone else did a a Mm -hmm. contortion thing and then he'd come back on. And I found out that when those people are on stage, Nathan walked backstage, put on a headset and was calling brokers for (laughs) ticket sales for the seven minutes those people were on stage. And then a timer would go off and he'd take the headset off and go back on and go, when I was a boy, (laughs) you know, and it's like, Nathan, we could feel it. Okay. I know you feel like you're a machine and and you're getting away with it, but you're not. Yeah. Even David Blaine with his sort of this, there's a weird passion you can feel that he desperately. Blaine is legit. Yeah. He He is so legit. And even though he doesn't, he's not a great scripter. Mm -hmm. uh, He is unbelievably charismatic. If you go see his live show, uh, you are seeing something and you are seeing someone who is present. Uh, He you know, he did close-up magic and TV magic, but he didn't have a lot of experience doing shows for theaters. And he's been doing a very successful theater tour mm-hmm. all over the country. And his show is fantastic. 
um, and he does some really impossible things. And he tells stories, and he's very authentic, and he's really sharing. I mean, the guy really is sharing his soul every night, every minute. And I had the opportunity to kind of beta test his live show. He had me come over uh, to Singapore and Manila Whoa. when he was he was using Asia as a open mic. <laughs> You know, <laughs> but we were doing these sold out rooms, these giant rooms. And uh, the first thing he said when I came through the, the door in his hotel room when I first arrived was, how come you never told me? And I'm like, what? And he's like, how great it is doing stuff for a big crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and over the course of working on it, I saw him develop jokes mm-hmm. and revel in yeah. those jokes, like getting laughs. So what is and, that the equivalent of? He's just this feral animal that's been out there doing street tricks and like, hey, you know, you could do like. Well, there's, you know, like I, I'm a comedy magician. You know, I, I make you laugh and then impossible things happen. David blurs the line, mm-hmm. you know, and he's about pure astonishment, you know, and there's not if people laugh, it's because they're uncomfortable because this can't be happening. But you the know? feats of strength, the living in ice, the breathing under, or you know, holding your breath underwater, the catching the bullet. Sure. These don't seem to be astonishments as opposed to more so just like, what are you doing? Sure. And I got, I got ideas on this, you know, because I've known him for a very long time. And when we first met, uh, he had just gotten his first piece of press and it was in Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. It was in the faces and places and it was one paragraph. Yeah. It's like, you might see this guy at clubs downtown doing <laughs> magic and he's wearing like these blue sunglasses in the picture. Mm-hmm. But in that little paragraph, it says David, uh, you know, basically aspires to be a cross between Evil Knievel and Harry Houdini. Okay. And right there. That's it. Out of the gate. This is a vision. And... So the feats of endurance are legit, and the magic is second to none, but the public has a real problem with it because they don't know, wait, are you, is it an illusion mm-hmm. or is it real? Yeah. Right? And for years, it was like, what? The same idea of like, what's he doing? And a couple years ago, he did a, a new special, and he titled it Real or Magic. Mm-hmm. And it was the best special he's done since, you know, Street Magic, I felt, because he really crystallized the 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 problem in his artistic voice yeah. or the problem in his public persona, yeah. which is, is it real or is it magic? And he just put his finger right on the nose of it and explored that and didn't answer it. But at least he named the question, yeah. which I, which is, you know. That in itself could be... If you don't know as the viewer, like, well, is this, you know, go over there and cut open that orange. You know, when that was kind of going around, I feel like a lot of people were doing like the, it's in the thing. Dig into that pudding. Is that your card? That seemed to spring up five years ago more than I ever remember it. And then it seems to, or the throw in the deck and then there's one on the window. Yeah. That seemed to be revelatory or groundbreaking. I don't see it as much now, but... When something like that happens, is he on the forefront or is that just like that's been around forever? Um, no, he definitely, he definitely really blew a lot of minds with the card through glass mm-hmm. and that on his first special yeah. was something that was talked about a ton and he got a lot of le- mileage out of it, you know, um, the, you know, a card in, in possible location is, you know. A common theme. Yeah. Okay. You know, variations on a theme. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked about magic sometimes. I maybe have told you this at some point, you know, sometimes I'll describe it like, you know, in ballet, there's, you know, a handful of poses. There's first position, second position, arabesque, right? Mm-hmm. And these are very strict bodily positions. Yeah. But a choreographer can tell a unique story. Yeah. Use Again, back to the haiku, you know, with a the limitation, then there comes, you know, unique expression. And uh, magic's like that. You're kind of limited with, you know, someone broke it down to a handful of effects. There's a vanish, an appearance, a transposition, a transformation, a levitation, a suspension, right? There's these different, named them, you know, what are all the, think of anything impossible and then categorize it. What category would that fit in? And there's a limited number of things that could be magic. Yeah. But then within that, you know, you can 
sort of explore. So say you're working with him on the open mic or uh, Ben on his trick, you know. And I say open mic, but we were playing the arena where Ali beat Frazier. <laughs> so. so you're, but he's comfortable enough, like, if I goof one of these up, it's not going to travel around the world so quickly that all ticket sales cease for the rest of the tour. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was even before ticket sales were, there was no U.S. tour. Yeah. It was dates so there, he, and then a year later. Yeah. Yeah. So he's basically banking that like Filipino Twitter isn't going to ruin his right. projection in the future. So you're, you're there backstage and like, I feel like comedians, as you know, like sitting in the green room, you shoot the shit. And it, there's no real trying to like, let me show you what I can do. Or here's what I'm working. Every now and again, someone will go, I apologize, but then th- this is a bit, but I am doing this, this, and this, is this tag? Okay. And someone might, you know, chime in. I feel like that happens very rarely, but mm-hmm. every now and again, do you hear that bit I did last night? So you're, you're, you're doing a little bit of workshop work or woodshed type stuff, but it's not, I picture you guys sitting in the back, like, can you do this trick with just card work, dexterous sort of like, can you hold three different decks in one hand? Can you shuffle this way? Can you go up the arm? I'm sure that's ridiculous. But when you're trying to say work on something and go, I had this idea. I want, I want someone to flip open their laptop and their card to be like under the screen. So I'm going to use part of Dalton's, What you know, assuming there's like a stock sort of thing, but I'm thinking with some sleight of hand, maybe I can get it to here. Where would you go from there? Is that within the realm of kind of how you guys speak? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. You know, I was approached by uh, fruit of the loom last year. Uh, they asked me, do you think it's possible to make underwear appear on someone without them knowing it? Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, let me think about it. And I, I, uh, with the budget they gave me, I called friends I knew on the clock, yeah. you know, so, and uh, paid them for their time and energy. Uh, and we brainstormed in that exact same way. And those ideas kind of culminated into a work, a working theory. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, flew some guys out to Minnesota and we worked up a couple days, uh, sort of a prototype of what we thought would work mm-hmm. and uh, pitched that and got the green light and we shot that. Uh, you know, I'll send you the YouTube video. Yeah, please do. It was on their homepage for the holidays. It was a holiday commercial, a digital media commercial, and uh, it was called Magical Underwear, <laughs> I think. So it sounds very uh, Mormon, but... Uh, when you're choosing the guys that you choose, is it technicians? Is it Does everyone have to know the encyclopedia of... Here's not only the trick. Okay, sorry. There was there was specific people that I had in mind who uh, who I thought might have you know in that particular instance right where you're like maybe putting putting something on someone without them knowing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a buddy who's an expert at pickpocket, so he was one of the first people I called. He's fantastic. His name's Apollo Robbins. The story that I know that uh, you did not tell me, but I maybe you can weigh in on this story because this is now my go to when I ask. Every magician, have you heard this story? There's a conference in Vegas. All the magicians are there. Uh, Penn from Penn and Teller is there. He hears of Apollo. He'd won like pickpocket of the year or something like that. And he comes over to him and Penn, giant dude, goes, uh, hey, man, pick my pocket. He goes, nah, we're here on the, come on, man. This is like, this is our time. This is off the clock time. We're just, you know, it's, we're around our peers. Bugs him for like 10 minutes. Pick my pocket. I, come on, man. Quit being a Don't be a jerk about this. Pick my pocket. So after 10 minutes or so, he finally goes, all right, man, I don't want to pick your pocket, but like, I'll sign something for you. Does that work? Do you have a pen? So pen reaches in his inner, inner breast pocket of his coat, pulls out a pen and goes to click it. Nothing inside. And then Apollo's holding the ink tube. Is that real? That's a true story. That's nuts. Isn't that nuts? It bothers me. It's, it's great. <laughs> it's great. It's too good. It's and, and that's a signature piece of Apollo's. You know, that's the kind of things he does. So of course he's the first guy. I'm mean, like, if I want to secretly get something on or off a person without them knowing it. Yeah. Well, that's the guy I'm going to talk to. If we're comics and we're secretly looking, and we're not secretly, sub- subconsciously watching other comics, like, oh, I guess they understand this. They, they know this. You can't really do that. There aren't like the tactical sort of, okay, they know how to do this technique and this move and this move. There are a little, but overall it's just like, they just have a style. That's them. I don't think they're sitting there going, I got to apply this callback and then I got to do my setups this way and then I got to do the rule of threes and then I got to do, you know, I think it's just kind of, they're just doing comedy. Whereas with magic, I think you could really watch and be like, this dude's sleight of hand is the best. This guy's pickpocketing is the best. Her, um, 
paranormal sort of whatever. I don't even know all the things in magic, I suppose, but I'm thinking mm-hmm. that a lot of those are when you're thinking of that Fruit of the Loom call, obviously he pops in your head as the the pickpocket guy. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and more specifically, you know, pickpocketing is an allied form. You know, that's not magic. That's a that's a technique of theft, right? <laughs> yeah. Um and and he is the the foremost guy. So but as far as like more subtle elements, then I just started calling my favorite magicians. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben helped me. Um Derek was super helpful. Mm-hmm. And then uh and then the team I worked with was, you know, guys that I've worked with, you know, on that type of production many times in the past so i knew that in the field they would know how to you know kind of get it done how do you train a brain though to think i mean to me you call me hey man i'm, I'm thinking about trying to get um under and i go oh hire actors just fake it it's tv right that's as far as my brain could realistically if i'm spinning my wheels i can't you know what's funny too they i found out that they had reached out to a number of other magicians guys that i'm friends with guys that i respect and i'm i'm a little proud to say that they all said that's not possible mm-hmm. and i think i think the amount of time i've had you know i, I really have to thank carbonaro cuz the amount of time i've had working and and the trenches military unbelievable deadline four new tricks a day 12 new tricks a week week after week on each of those orders has really opened my mind to anything is possible Mm -hmm. there's not i mean we've we have said the most crazy things and put them up on the board yeah and never in a million years and then a light bulb happens and it's like well what if (laughs) and then suddenly it's happening you know and so really there is no limitation. You know, I remember I was working with Michael a little bit uh, on the incarnation. You know, er- early on, there was these short segments we were doing for a late night talk show. And it was, uh, you know, hidden camera. And, and it w- there were six minute spots. Mm-hmm. And then Michael would call me and go, they want to do another one. <laughs> but I, we've done everything. <laughs> and I would have to reassure him, take a deep breath, man. Yeah. We haven't even scratched the surface. Do you really believe that at that I, point? I did. Wow. I do. There's no... It's unlimited. What do you mean we've done everything? <laughs> That's a ridiculous thought. I mean... When you come back around, though, and you're doing like, okay, that one was purple, now we're doing violet. It's, you know, we're in the same shade of... That's like, true. You and, that? you know, Michael is actually frustrating, milit- frustratingly militant in, you know, trying to not repeat things mm-hmm. we've done before because i think you know in new new clothing and a new mark uh, the same method could be wonderful and how wonderful to do something we know is going to work we don't right. you know but he's like no we did it we did it we gotta you know so he's actually the one really pushing on a regular basis to you know when everyone else is exhausted and like let's just let's just do what we know is going to work and that we've done and you know no one will know and he's like <laughs> Twitter will know. <laughs> People always bring up the 10,000 hours, but I feel like more, maybe just based on documentaries, all the rock climbers in the 70s starting just living at Yosemite and just getting up every day and having that community of talking about it. I took, I took this route. I used this hand grip. I'm using these new shoes. I got this kind of rope. I'm using these blah, 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 blah the coding world you know when you have everyone that's just like i'm just and we think of them as spectrum kind of asperger's loner but there's not there's message group you know forums places to go to i'm having trouble with this so there's a mass element of dozens maybe thousands of people that but the the amount of time they're putting in um, the guy who wrote the language Dothraki for Game of Thrones was fat. He, basically, the Game of Thrones producers went into one of those forums. Hey, you guys are the most bizarre little subset of people who, just for their own enjoyment, would upload a zip file of a new language they had created. They'd all unzip it and look at it and give each other notes. Hey, I like what you did here with this conjugation. I like this origination or the etymology of this word. And then they do it again the next week and just keep making languages. I feel that's where new ground is broken like a new evolution comes out and so for you has magic ever been pushed like this before where you guys are like get a new new season we got to do x number of 30 minute shows that's a lot of tricks do you think it's starting to crack open some new 
like frontier? That that's a really nice thought, and we do we do think about that as when every time we take on a new order, we're like, you know, we don't want we don't want the show to turn into shit, mm-hmm. you know, because we're so proud of. And there's there's clunker episodes and there's clunker there's clunker moments mm-hmm. you know um, is some of that on the trick or like ah the marks it's just all of it it's it's all, sometimes yeah. it's sometimes we 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 do a masterful method and we just you know we don't hit it on a on the take that has the good mark yeah you know um, and you know, that's just the the limitation we got to shoot four in a day yeah and if we get a passable one that can be we're also you know working with the network to fill the content you know yeah. we got to fill a certain there's a quota mm-hmm. which is frustrating but if that quota wasn't pushing us and driving us we wouldn't have the catalyst to make all this yeah. stuff in the first place mm-hmm. um i i would like to think like if when people look back on that that project in particular that it will be recognized as really pushing magic and its methods mm-hmm. uh, in a real hard and, uh, you know, yeah, I'd like to think that that show is a real step forward because we're not relying on camera tricks. We're not relying on, and we don't have the time. We don't have the benefit of time. We don't have months of prep. Mm-hmm. We have weeks and then that turns into days and that turns into hours. Sometimes, dr- Often driving <laughs> to set, what are, what are we going to do? You know, yeah. and and we also get into a working mode as a team, where we know we trust each other enough, and to know we got enough on the t- plate to make a delicious meal. You know, by the end of the day, yeah. So we'll start with the thing that we did the most work on that we know we can knock out of the park right out of the gate, and we know we got lunch break before we have to. <laughs> you know, before that thing's up to bat, that we have no idea, and then and then, it's so I have so. This is where going back to early on in our talk, this idea of faith. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just through experience and through doing it long enough, learning to trust ourselves, mm-hmm. to trust that when you walk up to the microphone, you're you're not gonna bomb. Yeah, trusting that. And trusting that when we walk out onto the set, even though we're not fully sure <laughs> what the effect is going to be, yeah, uh, we will discover it, you know, yeah. as, as a group. Uh, That's awesome. There's incredible power in that. And you know? I don't, it just, to me, doesn't sound like a, um, a feeling or an element that's really been critical in Magic prior. You got your Vegas show, you know what's going to happen. You can hit your mark, turn blah, 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 spew out some words, the trick's going to happen. I don't think of magic frequently as like the same way that people are writing a deadline, like, you know, scripting a show and like, we we have our hero stuck in this prison. We have no one still alive that can help him. How on earth are we going to get this person out of there driving to set, thinking about it, going, I got it. We left blah, 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 so-and-so alive in season one. They are back. Let's bring, you know, those little brains. To, I don't think of that with magic. So that's got to be a cool feeling that like your senses are heightened. They're awake. They're alive. They're thinking it as opposed to the scripting part. Like we talked about, that seems to me like you're at home. You can, you can be hanging out with the kids and thinking about it, but not like a, an immediate deadline. Like, Hey, that trick that you have in the workshop, it's got to go out tonight and tonight happens in 10 minutes. Sure. I, I do feel too, there's like, you know, we've got cards on the board and we know, and we've got the weeks in order. So mm-hmm. we know when certain things are up to bat. And some of these impossible moments are on our radar weeks in advance. And I, I do know that my subconscious mind is chewing on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when, when we're shooting, I go to, I go to location and I'll live there, you know, and, and that's the hardest part of the job is being away from my family. I got these two beautiful boys and uh, it, it is the longest I was away was two months on the last order mm-hmm. where like two months, that's long. you know, and, yeah. and, 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 and forgive me, you know, veterans of the Iraqi conflict, you know, like I'm, I sound like a puss two months, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it is a sacrifice, but on previous orders production has said well we'll fly your family out no you know and that's horrible too because i'm still working 20 hours a day <laughs> yeah and now they're in a strange city with no resources or friends and it's you know so that's yeah. even worse 
Um, because when we're in it, we are really in it, you know, like it's, uh, so the unconscious mind is chewing on what's to come and yeah, uh, a moment of inspiration, just like in scripting a, a story, you know, I just read Stephen King's on writing. So good. It is so good. Yeah. It is so good. I feel like even if you have no interest in writing or even being in the creative arts, just read it. It's just a fun book to read, but well, cause he's a master writer and he yeah, wrote it. But I mean, he, even... <laughs> he talks about his own limitations and it, the things that it just, how, I don't know. I could go on and on about that book. Cause I do think everyone that's like, man, I'm thinking about writing something. You should absolutely read that. And just knowing that the, the process of doing it is the biggest part. It is the biggest part. And I think that rolls right into, you know, working on a production like that we are deep in the process of doing it. It yeah. is it is a doing project. It's yeah. not a thinking about it. It's not a planning it. It's not a projecting or wondering. It's we are doing it, and necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. And so you know, uh, I, I do get frustrated because you know, working for a paycheck and a deadline for another guy. Boy, I come up with some really nice stuff. <laughs> and then the... it takes me year, you know, this this nest of boxes with the ring has been on my workbench for 6 years <laughs> and it's still not a regular part of my freaking show. Say you come up with something and it's called uh Al Trigger's slip and grab. That's um I like coming up with fake, like, stock things that have been in magic for years. Are you using Daltzheimer's three-through? <laughs> well, slip uh, and grab. <laughs> this is the slip and grab. And say you, you, you use that as the crux of your trick in, or the, uh, the focus of your trick that you're going to do. How much of it can you grab and take away? Like, oh, I'm going to use this in my personal show. Zero oh, percent? Interesting, you- right? Uh, here's, here's my litmus. If it's in anybody's working repertoire, it's off limits. Okay. And we live in a we live in a world where in magic there's a huge ne- like unprecedented number of amateur magicians who do better magic than amateur magicians ever have before, or at least have access to secrets more than ever before because of online uh, instructional downloads and online stores where you can buy props and gaffs and. Um, there's access to information where it really used to be like, here's this mimeographed, yeah, you know, lecture from 10 years ago and don't share it. <laughs> and then you had this, you had secrets, you yeah. know, and that was part of the craft was gaining the trust of mentors who would share real secrets. Yeah. And, and there's less guarding of secrets now. And there's also wonderful magicians who will come up with a great thing and then sell it to the magic community as a, as a source of revenue. Yeah. But there, and then that gives you the right to perform it. So you have these people performing the same routine, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and it, again, ballet moves, you know, there's going to be some crossover in effect, you know, I rope trick, card trick, you know, it's, sure. there's a limit, there's a, there's a vernacular. Yeah. But uh, for me, I don't want to do anything that anybody else who's working is doing it like the, my worst nightmare the worst compliment i ever get and i get it all the time sadly after a show is when someone comes up and goes man i just love what you guys do <laughs> it was a one-man show yeah i was the only performer on the bill <laughs> i just love what you guys do yeah that's the worst that's that's soul sucking yeah because uh so you know if i had a corporate client finance a very expensive prop a beautiful prop for an impossible trick where it's a box hanging type thing Mm -hmm. but i don't do it in my show i will do it as an upcharge for a corporate client because it's very customizable you know so that's why i sort of pitched it and now i'm glad i have it and i've i have sold it a couple of times for you know one-offs but it'll never be in my touring show and it won't be on my netflix special Mm -hmm. because it's in seven other guys working acts yeah and then it's like, oh, those guys do that that box thing. <laughs> you guys are so good. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Um, so where do you find the slip and grab? Mm-hmm. I, I going back to my buddy at Potter and Potter Auctions, you know, I, I go into those auction catalogs and I look for very rare books mm-hmm. that are old, out of print. And I, I bid on those. Yeah. And then I'll search through those. Really? For something that hasn't been seen in a long time. 
Uh, Teller nailed it in the monkey room. That's their green room backstage at their show. Mm-hmm. And a group of us were back there one night after a show, and someone brought up a really great trick, you know, mm-hmm. uh, by a guy, you know, just really clever. And Teller goes, wow, that's, that sounds amazing. Pause. Is he dead? <laughs> and that he nailed it right there. If the guy's dead and no one else has called dibs yet, mm-hmm. then you can do someone else's material. But if it's in some, you know, there's a Rob Zabrecki is a LA based magician, and a guy came up with a trick uh, and marketed it to the magic community, and it is so spot on perfect for Rob's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was made for Rob. And Rob's not an inventor. Yeah. He's a performer, so he, he you know, takes tricks that he's learned or has been taught and then integrates them into his voice, which is so unique. And now now it's in his act, you know, like it's in his act and the magic community knows, wow, no one does that better than Rob. Yeah. And uh, there's a magician who got some uh, a Netflix thing recently and did that trick, you know? And he knows Rob does that trick. And hey, anybody can buy that trick and do that trick. Amateurs can buy that trick and do that trick. But I think when you have access to Netflix audience, when you are a celebrity magician, you have an onus to have a unique voice and more than that you have the responsibility to not shit on another working pros rep now when if someone has seen that larger audience netflix performance of that trick and then they go see rob perform live and they go oh rob ripped this guy off and i'm assuming this guy lives at the end of the pool where he knows rob and knows of it and knows this unspoken 100 (sighs) percent but but this is this is there there are people who I don't think they quite understand the unspoken and actually loudly spoken and shouted but still don't necessarily hear it moral agreement among the real guys and yeah. girls of the profession yeah you know that if someone's doing it hey they got there first mm-hmm. so uh. <laughs> You guys must drive yourselves crazy with that because oh, it's a nightmare. The people that died, they're not memorialized. I don't know who they are and I'm Joe Schmo. So why aren't there more? Cause Carlin prior on and on people that are at the forefront of kind of like, well, when stand up, not vaudeville, but out of the birthing out of that sort of movement, there are styles and et cetera, et cetera. Like, you, you know, someone will get called out. Hey, they're doing that old Cosby bit. They're doing that old bit. They're doing, you know, whoever. Okay, and I'm making a timeout gesture because just because the person's dead doesn't mean you have the right to do their script and presentation. I'm talking about secrets. Yeah, but why isn't their name more? Like, I think people would go, oh, Barnum and Bailey. Like, those are circus guys. Why in the, in the sort of annals, I guess you would say, of magic, why aren't there... Well, these five people invented 90% of the tricks that are still being used. Something to that effect. Why aren't we more familiar with who those people are or were? Well, because magic never magic never has established the idea of authorship. Mm-hmm. You know, me and a buddy, uh, Steve Chiffo, who uh, he's Blaine's tour, kind of his tour manager. He directs the show. He's a big part of his touring show right now. Steve and I collaborated years ago on a bunch of sort of... Uh, two-man performance bits that were really fun. And we had this idea, because I lived in Minnesota, he lived in New York, and we are like, what if we uh, performed each other's material, mm-hmm. but we introduced it? I will now perform Steve Chiffo's <laughs> Slip and Grab. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, it's catching on, all right. You know? But that idea of like elevating magic to th- to a theatrical level, where there is there's work that exists, and then... So then when other magicians, you know, if if hack magicians got up on stage and said, I'm, you know, like I'm doing Mammoth's Oleana, you know, like like community theater, but magic, you know, yeah. this is Derek Hughes's Which card be. to pocket. Wouldn't that be interesting? Because it's Beethoven's ninth. I mean, it's. That's right. Why aren't there? That's so-and-so? very interesting. And I think maybe part of that, too, is inherent to magic is that 
I am the all-powerful and okay maybe it's rolled up in this because I've heard this before and it does make a lot of sense you know throughout history any given culture will only allow one miracle worker mm-hmm. you know Copperfield yeah David Blaine you yeah. know Houdini you know these singular names yeah. are the magician and then the magician of that era and Siegfried and Roy that's two um <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there can't be. That's why I don't like doing a gig if there's more than one magician roving. You know, like yeah. how is there two guys doing miracles? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how is that even possible? Yeah. You know, uh, it's like Highlander. There can be only one. There can be only one. Probably a good note to leave on. I have so many more things to talk about. I don't know if you're up for doing more bonus content, but I gotta. We should probably call it there for at least the two regularly regularly released episodes. Thanks for having me on. Sure, man. Any closing thoughts beyond watch the Carbonaro effect? Watch the Carbonaro effect. Go see Derek live. It's phenomenal. When will this be? Probably in a couple weeks. Okay, uh, April the first week in April. I'm headlining Comedy and Magic Club a few nights. So down in Hermosa Beach. So if you're in the the LA area, please come by. Yeah. Uh, Go to standupmagician.com and join my email list. I'll let you know when I get to come to your area or get to be on TV again. That'd be great. Cool. Do it. Follow Derek. And let's try to start uh, canonizing some of these tricks and and making it more like uh, composers. That'd be so, so interesting. (laughs) Love that guy. There's a little bit of uh, bonus material. It's kind of a shorter one, but if you're a Patreon member, you can listen to that. It should be up in a few days, so you should put it up toward the end of the week so you get a little bit uh, of an extra episode prior to the next one coming out. And if you're not a subscriber, subscriber, that's probably the better way to say that, um, now's as good a time as any to start for like 50 cents a week. You can uh, get access to a bonus episode every month since behind the scenes things, stuff like that. Anyway, thanks to those of you who do support the show. And if you have music suggestions or guests or anything like that, you can uh, email the show pings at thespacecave.com. You can just go to thespacecave.com. You can go to space underscore cave, which is the uh, Twitter account if you want to send a link or just say, Hey, I like this band or this beer, or you should have this person as a guest that has happened. People have reached out and said, Hey, you should interview this person. It's becoming, I don't want to say common, but it does happen. So, and I appreciate it. Always on the lookout for interesting people to chat with and or new beers to try. So thanks to those of you who do support the show. It's uh, I feel like we're a group effort. Not a lot of people know about this show and those that do, Seem to seem to help continue to make it enjoyable. So thanks for that. Thanks again to Dan, as always, for putting the show together, and Rob Crow for the theme music. I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting, but we'll get to it next week. Hope your March is going well, and 2019 overall is off to a good start for you. Here is uh, some music from a band called Bari. I think that's how you say it. I hope I'm saying it right. The song's called Darjeeling. I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave.
friend you love.